0: Who are you, and what do you do? Hi.
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> I'm Atul Gawande, and I lead global health at U- at the US Agency for International Development, USAID.
1: The first time I ever heard of Atul Gawande was when I heard Atul Gawande being interviewed on NPR. I was driving to take the foreign service exam, which is what I, I really thought I wanted to do after college. And I found it fascinating. I just graduated college, and I was already working in healthcare, but I I saw it as like just a job that was holding time until I got in the Foreign Service. But after that interview, I went and got Dr. Quante's book, Complications, um, his first book, which was formative in how I thought about healthcare.
2: That's Dan Diamond. And long story short, he did not end up going into the Foreign Service, and now he's a healthcare journalist for The Post.
1: So there is some personal amusement to me that this doctor that I remember Influencing my interest in healthcare years ago is now someone I can sit across the table from and ask hard questions to.
2: From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, May 9th. Today, we're going to hear some of those hard questions between Dan and Dr. Atul Gawande. Dr. Gawande is well-known in healthcare. He's a writer, healthcare researcher, and surgeon. He served under the Clinton administration. And most recently, he's been tapped to lead global health at the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID. He also co-chairs the COVID-19 task force. We wanted to know how Dr. Gawande is thinking about this stage of the global pandemic and the public health problems that people aren't paying attention to.
1: I wanted to talk to Martin for a few reasons. First, I I'd read his work for years. I followed his career closely. So the fact that he took a senior job in the Biden administration when he didn't need to,
0: that was interesting to me. I had to resign everything, which I've never had to do before, right? So I had to resign from my role of writing in The New Yorker. I put hold on a book that, that I had started. I had to step off of all my nonprofits that boards that the charities that I'd started. And the hardest thing of all is I did my last surgical procedure in mid-December. And then the second piece of it is he
1: is at the center of a push to do global vaccinations, to help other countries raise the level of immunization. And that push has been stalled because Congress hasn't been able to pass new funding. So I was very curious what Atul and his team were working on in the absence of new money coming in to carry out that work.
2: The reason why I know Atul Gawande is because of his writing, as he pointed out. But it seems like part of why he has become somewhat famous is because of the way that he writes about the particularly American healthcare system, or the, or the shortcomings in how healthcare works. And now that he's kind of back a little bit more on the inside or in the government, I mean, I wonder what he has to say about the healthcare system now and shortcomings in healthcare in this country
1: his role as a leader and thinker on healthcare is pretty important during the obama administration he wrote an article called the cost conundrum which president obama assigned as mandatory reading to his staff as they talked about healthcare hmm. reform and that article was all about the perverse incentives in healthcare that sometimes doctors get paid for things that we don't want them to do and sometimes they get underpaid or not paid for the things that they should be doing so it was it was in in miniature a distillation of problems in US healthcare and and since then Dr. Guandé has repeatedly emerged when there have been major healthcare moments sometimes he's weighed in on the repeal effort by Republicans some years ago the repeal effort of the Affordable Care Act and more recently he was on TV quite a bit as a advisor to President Biden's transition team coming into government on how to respond to covid but drawing on those experiences Dr. Guandé said he can see challenges both in the healthcare system as well as what it means to be a leader trying to lead change in government and beyond um, that maybe years ago he couldn't have.
2: And what are some of the ways that he thinks that the healthcare system could improve?
1: Well, some of those things are pretty simple. His first book, Complications, was about the mistakes that happen in healthcare. His focus Mm -hmm. has often been on these, at times, low-cost practical initiatives that can make a big difference on the margins?
0: I I am just total fan of the mundane. It is the simplest things that have been revolutionizing, right? One One of the first things I worked on was recognizing that we don't have enough teamwork in operating rooms and creating a checklist that cut the death rate for surgery by more than a third around the world by just having our basic systems change. I wrote about you know, why aren't we solving the problem of (laughs) hand-washing adequately, right? We have more than a million people who pick up infections in hospitals because people are not washing hands right
1: So he is more focused on the low-cost interventions, like hand-washing, that he said can make a big difference long-term. So
2: outside of his career, you mentioned that another reason you wanted to speak with Dr. Gawande is because of his efforts to push for global vaccination. So tell me a little bit more about
1: that. Dr. Gawande's team is working on a global vaccinations initiative. And much of the focus, Martine, isn't about getting supplies overseas. It's about what happens when they get there, taking them from the airport to the arm
0: of the patient who might need it. It isn't enough to just bring a bunch of vaccines on the tarmac and say, go, we need to support their ability to to maintain the cold chain, to have workers who can move out into the rural areas. And it's working where we are getting, where, where we're seeing concentration of, of our contributions. We've um, helped 11 countries, you know, there are more than 30 that are, that are massively under vaccinated. In 11 countries, we've gotten to double or more the rates they were under, A lot of the
1: infrastructure that we might have in the United States that does not exist overseas. And because it doesn't exist, there have been examples of shots that were donated to countries in need, but those vaccine doses expired before they could be used. To be fair, we have some of this in the United States too. We have our own problems with convincing people to get vaccinated against coronavirus. It's the poorer countries that are still dragging very much behind. And there are dozens of
0: countries that he said still need help. With the support that's come from the U.S. around the world, we have enabled other countries to bring resources in, and that has meant that all of us together have driven in high-income countries, in upper-middle-income countries, and lower-income countries, that they are achieving what is now a 60% vaccination, fully vaccinated rate. In the low-income countries, it is barely over 15%. So
1: the fact that the Global Vaccinations Program has helped to this point, he said, is proof that it needs to continue, and another argument why he and other Biden officials have been pleading with Congress for weeks, if not months, to set aside several billion dollars more, maybe even more than several billion if it turns out that it's needed, but to keep the program going so it can help these other countries where vaccinations are still lagging behind.
2: After the break, Dan explains why the program that Dr. Gwandé is leading is at risk. We'll be right back. So, Dan, funding for some of these programs that we've been talking about has been held up by partisan politics in Congress. And these are programs that are pushing things like global vaccination. So did you get a sense from Dr. Gowande that he was frustrated by this inaction from Congress?
1: It's an interesting question, because if you've ever talked to him, he's so placid. He's also tough to rattle. You came to USAID with much of your focus on the global vaccination program, but that program is now imperiled. The funding has been stalled in Congress for weeks. USAID
0: is set to run out of money as a result. What are the consequences? Yeah, stopping funding for the, COVID, the global COVID effort is already a reality that, that is leading to significant harms. So you're out of money right now as we're sitting here talking. As we're sitting here talking, there is no more funds in the coffer for many, many things, and that is gradually drying down. First of all, on the domestic side, be clear, we're already at a point where for our own citizens, the uninsured don't get access to, don't have funds for taking care of their diagnosis, their treatments, when they have COVID, severe COVID, hospitalizations, you name it. The Biden administration already wound down that program because they didn't have funding. Because that funding isn't there anymore to to pay for those components. And so the equivalent on the global side is that we are, here are the main things we do. It's not just vaccines, but vaccine is the number one priority for the COVID task force. And I did push him on why
1: should Congress prioritize this at a moment when there are so many other things flying at lawmakers. We're in an election year where lawmakers in Congress are trying to distinguish themselves on issues that go beyond COVID. They're talking about the economy. They're talking about crime. Getting them to focus on the pandemic is increasingly difficult And I I think Dr. Guande realized that, but he tried to make an argument, Martin, that I feel like I've parroted to you on this podcast that public health experts have said for months, which is the virus emerging anywhere around the world can
0: be a threat everywhere. All of our variants that have been causing our problems in the United States have come from abroad.
1: Where they've been detected first abroad, Delta, Omicron. Yeah, they haven't
0: come out of the U.S. They've come out of other countries. And we need to have their vaccination rates at high enough levels that we start to stem the tide of deaths. And especially among high-risk, immunosuppressed folks in whom these mutations develop, that we have high enough rates that we can stop those from developing. It also means making sure part of the money is also to make sure they have access to rapid diagnostic tests. The the tools we, we use in the U.S., rapid testing, the vaccines, and the breakthrough oral antiviral pills, they don't have access to those capabilities. Rapid diagnostic tests are not provided. We are seeking the funding that keeps these programs going that would get those folks the treatments that they need and that stop the harms that reach us.
1: And whether that's a variant like Omicron that can evade some of the protection around vaccines and still get people in the state sick despite multiple doses of of, of shots, or a new variant that might emerge that could be even worse, the argument that Dr. Kwande and other officials make is Congress needs to set aside this money to make sure the worst case scenario doesn't happen because we've already lived through some pretty bad scenarios already.
2: So obviously COVID is not the only part of Dr. Gawande's job. And you talked with him about Ukraine and about USAID and his role in the war. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, why was that an important thing to hear from him?
1: Well, it was important to me for two reasons, I think. First, he had been in the first few months of his job this year talking almost entirely, it felt like, about the pandemic, and then to see Dr. Gwande go to Poland and increasingly focus on Ukraine, th- that to me felt in miniature, Martin, like what is happening globally, the shift away from we need to fight the pandemic to we need to fight this specific crisis in Eastern Europe and all the humanitarian effects.
0: When you see the problems that are emerging in, in, in response to Putin's war on Ukraine, it is a breakdown in fundamental health systems. So what I saw was extraordinary damage to almost half of health facilities in the eastern and southern parts of uh, the country are destroyed, damaged, or their workers have been attacked and, and sent away. So basically half the health system's non-functional. It is a, a health system on the verge of collapse there. But um lots and lots of internally displaced people and the and the volumes uh, aren't what they're used to handling. Add to that, within the first week or two, the whole medical supply chain for medicines and supplies broke down. There can only be at at times room
1: to prioritize one thing. I I know Dr. Gwande would disagree. He would say that his team is focused on lots of different things. But in terms of public attention and rallying congressional effort. Ukraine is is now more pressing, I think, in the minds of lawmakers than COVID. And some of that can be seen with the funding issue, that before we could see lawmakers crafting bills that would specifically fund the COVID response, those bills have repeatedly died for various reasons. The latest hope was that, okay, we know that we want to fund the Ukraine response.
0: Maybe we can attach some COVID money to Ukraine. We have a vehicle right now, which gives me hope, which is that the Ukrainian supplemental package for emergency support for Ukraine for the phase of the war that they're enduring is moving through Congress and, and is likely to go. And the president has asked that the COVID package be included with that. And I'm very hopeful.
1: So I saw in, in Dr. Wande's own time and public statements sort of a reflection of how the shift has been away from the pandemic and more towards Eastern Europe.
2: I think it's interesting for someone with a career and, and frankly, a skill set like Atul Gawande's because I think that there always is a trade-off when you are, for lack of a better word, like independent person, a public speaker, a kind of thinker. You can put out all these ideas about how the world needs to change and how... With these simple solutions, you know you could transform healthcare or America or whatever, and then you go work for the government, and the government is complicated and bureaucratic, and often means there are kind of sacrifices made along the way in terms of your vision or, or what you're espousing. And did you get the sense that that's a thing that that Atul Gawande is navigating right now, of like the limitations of being part of the system?
1: It's a very different role to be a thought leader in healthcare versus trying to make those thoughts a reality. But it is challenging, for sure, when you don't have the money that Congress is setting aside to make real the things that you've been talking or writing about. As officials have told me over the years, government is sort of like being in quicksand, that no matter where you want to go, you're going to be slowed down, You only have so much time to get where you're trying to get to before it's just going to overwhelm you. And that's why people might only spend two years, three years, four years in a government job. Dr. Gawande is, I think, four or five months into this job. I don't know how long he'll be there, how long he'll want to be there. But some of the things that he's talking about are pretty big. And to make them real, he needs other people to set aside the funding and resources to achieve them.
2: And it seems like that's an uphill battle right now.
1: It, it absolutely is, because I think the interest in fighting COVID is on a downward slope. If you just look at the polling, more and more people are more and more ready to let the pandemic be behind them.
2: Dan, thank you so much for bringing us this interview.
1: Martina, it was great to catch up with Dr. Gawande, and it's always great to catch up with you too. Thanks so much.
2: Dan Diamond is a national health reporter for The Post. Dr. Atul Gawande is the assistant administrator for global health at USAID. Ariel Plotnick produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Alexis Diao. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.